fall out there. But we know what he means by that, right? <laughs> Amen. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. Amen. And he is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. The Lord is so faithful. He is. What a great God we serve. Let us go before the Lord in prayer. Lord, you're such a great God. As we're reading this, this psalm, listening to the words of your word, David said, it is you who lights his lamp. You lighten his darkness. And Lord, when I read about that, I thought about how you brought me out of darkness, the darkness of sin, into the light of your word, the light of the Lord, the light of the gospel. And Lord, how you brought all who are redeemed out from the darkness of, of sin, the darkness of iniquity, the darkness of the curse that sin brings into your marvelous light. It is like Paul said in Colossians 2, that you, Lord, for believers, you, you translated us, you conveyed us from the kingdom of darkness into your marvelous light. And Lord, it is only you who can do that. Lord, it is only you who can bring those who are in the darkness, who are trapped by sin, and those who are trapped in the darkness of sin, those who are trapped by the curse of their sins. Lord, it is only you who can bring them out. Many people have tried throughout all of human history to bring themselves out of sin without coming to you. But Lord, only through you can man conquer sin. And actually, Lord, we don't conquer sin. It is Jesus Christ who goes before us, who conquered sin. We have the victory through him. So, Lord, it is only through Christ, it is only through coming to Christ and salvation that we can have victory over sin, over the bondage of sin, over the slavery of sin. It is you, Lord, who does it. And, Lord, we thank you that you light our lamp. Just as David said in Psalm 119, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. Lord, your way is the only way that is perfect. Your word proves true. Lord, there's not one part of your word that has ever failed. Lord, all that you say is true. All that you will ever say is true. And Lord, help us to trust in you because your word is true. Christ, when he prayed in John, the 17th chapter, as, is, uh, is, uh, as it is recorded, he prayed, Father, sanctify them those who are his disciples those who are his followers lord he says sanctify them in your truth lord your word is truth truth is only found in you truth is only found in your word truth is only found in the holy scriptures lord that you wrote using 44 men to write and lord you alone are a shield for all who take refuge in you we thank you, Lord, for being the source of truth. We thank you, Lord, for being a refuge for us where we can come to you for safety. Lord, your word tells us that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it 
and are safe. Oh, may the righteous run to God in times of trouble and find safety in him. The world can't keep us safe. The, the systems of this world, all they do is create problems and then try to use the world to solve the same problem that they created, only making more problems. Lord, let the righteous run unto you and find safety. There's no safety found in this world at all. Danger lurks everywhere. Lord, your way is perfect. Your word is true. You are a shield for us. We find our deliverance in you. Lord, help us to keep your ways and not walk in the way of wickedness, not walk in the way of, of scoffers, not walk in the way of those who hate you. And Lord, speaking of which, I pray for this morning for our students in school, in K through 12 school, the students at our that belong to our church and our families. Lord, that you help them to walk in your ways as they go through their school days because, Lord, there are so many ungodly influences around them. There's so many demonic forces that work in our schools in our day. Lord, may they walk in your ways, work in their hearts, Lord. Cause them, Lord, to walk in your ways, to, to remember the teachings that they heard here at our church and to hold to those teachings Lord hold to your word and hold to your hand Lord your unchanging hand we pray for our college students Lord being on the college campus yesterday and day before Lord you see all the, the satanic influences that are uh, prevalent on our college campuses that you protect our college age students Lord from evil help them Lord to make choices based on what they've learned in you that they not forsake you Lord that they hold forth to your truth even in the midst of the pressure that will come their way to deny their Christian faith our high school students the same way Lord Lord that you protect them from, from the influence of evil give them discerning spirits to to know who their true friends are and not be negatively influenced by those who try to impress evil on their hearts, on their young hearts. Lord, we pray for Miss Deborah this morning that you be with her. As she has fallen sick, she wishes to be in fellowship with us, Lord, but she's not able because of sickness in her body. Lord, I pray that you touch and heal her this morning. Remember, Brother Harvey, as he continues to recover, continues to rehab, Lord, that you strengthen him by your spirit to have that determination to continue to push forward, that he wins the battle that rages in his mind every day. Lord, I pray for all of us in here this morning that you be with all of us, that you help all of us, Lord, to walk in your ways, to obey your word, to obey your commands. And those who are not believers, Lord, that they may turn to you and be saved. Lord, help us to obey your word. Help us, Lord, to, as, as we read last week, endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. For there is one church, there is one body, there is one spirit.
there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and in all and through us all. May we continue to strive for that unity. And Lord, we pray for those who are in authority all the way from the White House down to our local civil magistrates. Lord, that they may learn to live a peaceable life, a life of godliness and holiness, a life of righteousness, that they may legislate righteously, that they may propose bills righteously, that they may lead uh, their respective jurisdictions in a way that brings honor to you. We pray for our law enforcement, our first responders, that you be with them as they're out uh, today, Lord, helping to keep us safe and serving the needs of our communities. Lord, we lastly pray for our brethren, faithful brethren here and across the world who are preaching on this Lord's Day. For Brother Josephus and Gobble J over in Liberia and, and Brother Sylvester over in Zimbabwe and Christians all around the world in China and in Asia and also in the Middle East and in Europe and South America. Lord, preachers from all over the world preaching on this Lord's Day that you may be with them, Lord, that they may shepherd the flock of God well. We pray locally, Lord, for brothers like Steve Mays and Josh Henderson and, and Cody Hale, who just celebrated 10 years at, at Iron City, and, and Bob and Carlton and all the elders at uh, Grace Fellowship and, and Anthony, and Lord, all, all the men, all the faithful men, Justin Harlan at, at Mountain View, Lord, bless all of us as men to shepherd and lead our churches well. Be with us, Lord. Strengthen us this morning on this Lord's Day as we preach to your flock. And Lord, lastly, we pray that you bless our word this morning as we go through Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 16, looking at uh, what unity looks like as it is worked out in the church, that Lord Christ has gifted all of us, all members of the church, to serve and to help the church to grow and to help us all to mature into Christ. Lord, help us by your spirit to uh, know your truth this morning, to know what you require of us, Lord, and to give us the will to do it. And help me, Father, with the Spirit's help to preach this text well, to do what is pleasing in your eyes. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Amen. Let us turn to Ephesians. No, no uh, guess where we are. We're in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. And this morning, we're going to look at verses 7 through 16. Last week, we talked about unity, walking in unity, part one, part two last week. And this is part three. Paul is still talking about the theme of unity. Last week we talked about that there's one body, which is one church, one spirit, one hope, and one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. We talked about the, the unity that exists in the church, that we ought to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That's verse 3. And now, as we look at this section, Paul speaks of the grace that was given to us through spiritual gifts and what those gifts are used to do so that will be our focus this morning 
So looking at Ephesians 4, beginning at the seventh verse, this is the word of the Lord. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended, you know, descend means to go down, ascend means to go up. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might feel all things. That's a parenthetical phrase inserted in there uh, connecting verse 8. Well, actually, uh, verse 7 to verse 11. And he gave, the, he gave apostles, some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some shepherds or pastors and teachers for a purpose. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves of the wind and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning or cunning craftiness by the craftiness and deceitful schemes rather speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly make the body grow so that it builds itself up in love amen we're talking about unity in the gifts leads to the growth of the church that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Unity in the gifts lead to the uh, growth in the church. That is the, the big idea. So this passage here, what we see is that the Holy Spirit gives each Christian special gifts for building up his church. So this is what the Holy Spirit does when God saves us. He gives all of us, every single person gifts for the building up of the church the spiritual building up of the church the spiritual growth of the church there's no such thing as an ungifted Christian many churches look to the pastor or the preachers to do everything in some churches the, the pastor is worn out because they're doing everything and the members just sit and just receive and not serve and what that does is that wears the pastor out and the pastor end, ends up leaving because they get worn out they get they suffer from burnout you have a lot of pastors I think the percentage is about 60 to 70 percent of pastors are suffering from burnout and one of the main reasons why is because they are tasked with you know, doing too much. 
some of them take it upon themselves to do it, but uh, well, if, if you know, it's not gonna get done unless I do it. You know that type of uh, mentality. And the members, of course, you know, human nature. Hey, if somebody else gonna do it, then I'm not gonna lift the finger. <laughs> That's how sinful human nature. Some of us are like that. Some people like it on their jobs. Well, nobody else. Well, no, I'm not gonna do it. You know. Or if you know someone else is gonna do it, then why should I do it? You know, that's our mentality as fallen man. But that is not the way the church is called to operate. The church is different from the world. So in this passage here, Paul explains how this should look. So Paul switched from the corporate aspect of the church to the individual aspect. In the verses before this, he talks about, again, one body, verse 4, one spirit. That's the corporate aspect of the church. Remember, we're one body. All of us belong to the same body. One spirit, the Holy Spirit, who uh, indwells all believers. We're called to one hope. We talked about that. The hope of heaven, the hope of eternal life. We are one Lord, Jesus Christ. One faith, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ through the Holy Scriptures. One baptism, baptism into Christ when you're saved. Excuse me, we serve one God. God is not pluralistic. God is one God. He is the only God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's transcendent. He's over all and through us all. So that's the corporate aspect of the church. Now he switches, he transitions to the individual aspect of the church. And actually, for the rest of this letter... Paul is going to focus on individuals because next week we're going to look at how we are to walk in the newness of life. Then eventually we're going to get into husbands and wives, children and parents. He's going to get to all these different relationships, employers, employees. He's going to get to the individual aspects of the body of Christ and how we are to operate. But first he starts off talking about gifts. And so the three principles we're going to look at this morning are one, Jesus gives gifts and Jesus gives leaders. And then Jesus grows Christians. All this is done by Christ. If you look at the seventh verse, you will see where that is headed off. He says, but grace was given to each of us according to the measure of whose gift? Christ's gift. And when he's talking about the grace, he's talking about the grace to serve. Every believer has a spiritual gift. Each member has a special gift given by Jesus. And it is Jesus who determines what gifts to give. He is the one who gives each believer their gifts according to how he sees fit. Now, there are uh, other um, lists of gifts that are given in the New Testament. One of the more, uh, much longer lists is found in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, primarily verses 1 through uh, 13, and then I think uh, the, the latter part of that chapter around verse 28-ish, uh, you know, around that. So 1 Corinthians 12, and then Romans 12, 3 through 8, Paul gives uh, a, a list of spiritual gifts. And then here we see it in this chapter in, in verses 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 11, that we're going to see 
here in a little bit. But the big idea is that all believers are gifted by the Spirit. He says again, but grace was given to each one of us. Remember, he's speaking to the saints. So each one of us is gifted according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, believers are counterproductive if they boast over their gifts, if they compare one gift to another, okay, or if they define the exact, exact characteristics of each gift. You know, in some circles, like the circles I came out of, the, the, the Pentecostal holiness circles, people, uh, they, 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 they brag about their spiritual gifts. Like, I have this anointing or I have that anointing. You know, they use language like that. You know, they, they, they brag over their, their so-called uh, spiritual gifts. They boast over them. Oh, I have the gift of discernment. You know, I have the gift of discerning spirits. You know, I, I, I can, you know, they, they, they boast about it. They boast about it. But this is a gift of grace. Why, 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 why should you boast about something that you didn't earn? This was given to you by Jesus Christ. Notice Paul says what? By grace was given to you. These, these gifts were given by, you know, grace, remember, is, is unmerited favor. It's not something that you earn. You don't earn these spiritual gifts. You don't do anything to get them. They were bestowed on you by grace through Jesus Christ. According to the measure of Christ's gift. So it is divided among God's people. And so what does Paul do here? He quotes a little bit from Psalm 60. I think Psalm 68 it says here in my footnote. Psalm 68. He says, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captivity, led a host of captives. I know some translations say uh, he led captivities captive. And he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. What does in the world does Paul mean by all of that? I'll explain it. The summary is that Jesus in victory gave gifts to his church. This, when he says he led a host of captives, this is, this is war, this is military language. Paul had in mind the Roman military when they have a triumphant parade, when they, they come back uh, from victory in war, then they have a, a parade. And the forces that were defeated were displayed. So Paul is talking about Christ's victory over uh, the hostile spiritual forces of the universe that war against him and against his kingdom. So this is, this is victory lanes when it says he uh, ascended, he led a host of captives. So it is speaking victory language. 
And then he says that in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended? Descended means that Christ came down. He came down to the earth. He ascended to heaven. He experienced the various, very highest exaltation possible. He ascended above the heavens. No one can go higher than that but Christ. And that shows his victory. And he descended down to the earth. He humbled himself. Some people say, oh, it means that Jesus went to hell. But that's, that's not what that means. Very loose translation of that, that text. But Christ descended to the Lord. Pause there. He descended. The same one who was high in the heavens came down to earth as the God-man, Jesus Christ. And what did he do? He went back up. He, he ascended that he may feel all things, that he may encompass all things. This gave Christ total victory. That's what that means. Christ rose in victory, ultimately. And what did he do when he rose? He gave gifts. He ascended, he came back down, and he ascended again where he is seated right now at the right hand of the Father, having filled all things, all things in creation. It's Christ's dominion. So what has he done since he has filled all things? The next verse tells us. He gave. Christ is a giving Lord. He's not selfish. He's not self-centered. Selfish people don't give. Narcissistic people don't give. They, they take. They are consumers. They consume things. They consume people. They take in, but they don't put out. Christ is a giving Christ. He gave his life. He willingly went to the cross to die in our place for our sins, paying our sin debt. He gave his life. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he what? He gave. God is a giving God. He is a generous God. Jesus is a generous Lord. He gives. He doesn't keep everything to himself. He invites those of us who are in him to share in his glory. We are co-heirs with Christ. The scripture tells us that, that we are co-heirs with Christ. We reign with Christ together, the already but not yet, because when we go to heaven, we will reign with Christ. We reign with him on this earth is a spiritual reality. But we're going to reign with him forever. Why? Because he gives. So Christ is a giving God. He is a giving Lord. So what did he do when he ascended in victory far above all the heavens? He is in the highest heaven as our victorious Savior. That's where he is right now. And instead of sitting in his chair at the right hand of the Father, which is where he is, seated, at the right hand of the Father. 
He's what? Giving. We just read in uh, 2 Timothy 1, 1 Timothy 1, that there's one what? Mediator. A mediator gives. Christ is our mediator. He, he mediates between us and God. He pleads before the Father, our righteousness. He's a giving Savior. What better person to serve than our Lord? What greater God than our God? The God who gives. The God who is generous with his gifts. He doesn't hold back from his children what he has for us. So this victorious Christ, Paul says here, in verse 11, we're talking about Jesus gives leaders. He gave. It says he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors slash shepherds, and teachers. You know, in the Holiness Church, they call this the fivefold ministry. That's what they call it. The fivefold ministry. You even got churches called the Fivefold Ministry Church. The Church of the Fivefold Ministry. <laughs> that's not what this is. But that's what people in, in those circles call it the, the Fivefold Ministry. So people are either going to be an apostle. I've said before, you know, to be an apostle now is like, you know, you're like up there. And if you're a chief apostle, you're definitely like way up there above everyone else. You know, everyone wants to be an apostle. Or you have prophets or prophetesses. You know, people go by these titles now, a prophetess. How about a heretic? A hereticess. <laughs> How about that? Or an apostate. Then you have evangelists. People have this title of evangelists. And you have pastors and teachers. So I want to explain these and, and, and see how they fit in what Paul is talking about here. Some of these are offices and, and others are ministry. So the first one uh, up to bat is, it says, he gave some as apostles. The word apostle simply means one who is sent with a commission, like they're on a mission. Jesus had many disciples, but he only had 12 apostles. You find that in Matthew 10, verses 1 through 4. A disciple, of course, is a follower or a learner. That's what a disciple is. But an apostle is a divinely appointed representative. They are appointed and called by God. Now, one of the hallmarks of an apostle is that they were to give witness to the resurrection or of the resurrection. Now, the original 12, well, it was 11, actually, because Judas had betrayed Christ, but the original 11 had seen the risen Christ. And the 12th apostle, I think his name is Matthias, that was picked in Acts, the first chapter, he saw the resurrected Christ also. And Paul, the apostle, 
saw the resurrected Christ in Acts the ninth chapter on the road to Damascus uh, Christ spoke from heaven and said Saul Saul uh, and the King James says why persecutest thou me why do you kick against the prick so uh, Paul had seen the risen Christ in his glory but there are no apostles today in the strictest new testament sense because the true apostles helped lay the foundation for the church Paul said this in uh, Ephesians 2 and 20 the foundation the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets none of these apostles today are the foundation of the church apostles also wrote scripture none of these people around here we're not reading their works in these 66 books and they, no they don't have their own bible so it's not the real bible it wasn't inspired by God so those are some of the basic qualifications of an apostle they write scripture they've seen the risen Christ and they were divinely commissioned by God divinely appointed by him as his representative God also authenticated the ministry of the apostles uh, through special miracles are any of these apostles these so called apostles this day doing these things I'll answer it for you no they're not doing any of these things but yet they are fleecing the church. They're fleecing the flock of God by having people to worship them and uh, anoint them as apostles. They are apostates. They're false preachers. They're false prophets. That's what they're doing. So the apostles, again, they authenticated their ministry with special miracles they performed miracles if you look in the uh, New Testament you'll see miracles were performed by some of the apostles so with all this being said the office of apostle is no longer needed because the foundation of the church has already been laid by the apostles through their apostolic ministry the church was started the church began, the New Testament church began because of the work of the apostles of the first century. So, all that to say, there are no apostles today. But Christ did give these gifts at that time for that reason. Now, in a broad sense, though, all Christians do have an apostolic ministry. God does send us out as believers into this world to proclaim the gospel that's apostolic ministry that's what the apostles did so all of us do have an apostolic ministry all of us have commissioned have been commissioned by God to proclaim the gospel truth that's the apostolic ministry that every believer has not just a preacher every Sunday morning as we leave out up here after we here 
the word, hear the gospel, we have orders. We are commissioned by God to witness Christ in our workplaces, in our homes, in our marriages, with our families and, and, and friends and so forth out in the public square. All of us have the apostolic ministry. All of us have that gift. Amen. Next he says prophets. Now the Old Testament prophets gave us uh, the word. The Old Testament prophets gave us the word of God. Excuse me. Now New Testament prophets are not the same as Old Testament prophets. Because New Testament prophets do not uh, predict the future as the Old Testament prophets uh, did. Because we often associate a prophet with uh, predictions of future events. You know, you have some of these, you have some of these preachers now. It's, 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 it's so crazy. They talk about, oh, the Lord has shown me this and, and shown me that. And they put this mess on Facebook and, and say it in their, in their whatever they want to call sermons that the Lord has shown them all these things. Listen to me because God gives me something special to see that you can't see. That's in essence what they're doing. And they, and they say that they have a prophetic ministry. You ever heard people use those terms? They have a prophetic ministry. Or you, you can't understand this because I'm speaking in the prophetic. And only a special group of Christians can understand this. It's a bunch of gobbledygook. But you have people who, who go around saying that. That they have a quote prophetic ministry and that only certain people can. future you're not speaking in the prophetic you're just proclaiming the gospel truth true prophets reorient people back to God true prophets lead people to repentance that's what a true prophet does a false prophet doesn't do that a false prophet focuses on health wealth and self Yes, I meant for that to rhyme. That's what they focus on. Health, wealth, and self. They don't focus on the things of the kingdom. They focus on building up their own kingdom. That's not the kind of prophet, prophetic gift that Christ gave to the church. But all of us have the prophetic gift of proclaiming the word of God. All of us as believers are equipped to speak God's truth, to proclaim God's truth. All of us have that power. All of us do. Not just the preacher, again. And the reason why these gifts are important is because 
it shows that the gifting of the church is not just given to one person. And it's not just one person's responsibility to help to grow the church. It is every believer's responsibility to do that. All of us are gifted by God's grace to help grow the church. Next, he says evangelists. Evangelists basically are bearers of good news. Now, in the um, Old Testament, New Testament days, rather, evangelists were men who traveled from place to place to preach the gospel and to win the loss. All ministers ought to do the work of an evangelist. But this does not mean that all ministers are evangelists. Now, the evangelists built on the foundation of the apostles by uh, leading the lost to Christ. But in the early church, every believer was a witness. And so we should be witnesses today as believers. Now, there are people who have a special gift of evangelism where they, you know, you have people that go out to uh, abortion clinics or murder mills, as I call them, where babies are being murdered. They, they go out and just preach the gospel. You have people who are street preachers. We were out somewhere um, last couple of days and we saw a, a church group just standing with signs on the on a street corner, you know, calling people to repent and believe in Jesus, all those things. That's form of evangelism. They just held up signs and I, I kind of hunt my horn. I gave the universal sign of approval, not the universal sign of disapproval. <laughs> and that I'm sure they probably get from some people. But, you know, they, was, they just had their signs out, and I was in. I hung and gave my thumbs up. You know, that's a form of evangelism. They, they just go out and just do that. Like I said, some uh, protest in front of uh, abortion murder mills. Some of them protest at different events that are uh, taking place, like in some cities where you got uh, so-called pride parades and and, 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 and whatnot, you have Christians out there with their signs and with their bullhorns proclaiming the gospel to people. That's a form of evangelism. So you have those who are especially equipped to do that. But outside of that, every believer has this gift. And it is given to us by Christ. Then he says pastors. Of course, you have uh, the office of uh, elder. And of course, pastor yeah, pastors and teachers. And of course, pastor, the office of pastor, uh, the title elder or bishop and pastors are all interchangeable. They're the same office. Overseer, bishop, uh, elders are the same office. And why do I say that? Because in a lot of churches, even the denomination I came out of, uh, you had the bishops that were up there and then you had the overseers and then you had the elders. And I was an elder or whatever. I was an ordained elder. But bishop, elder, and overseer are interchangeable titles of the same office. But what does man, sinful man do? Sinful man likes to put a, a hierarchy. And then above the bishop, we have the senior bishop, who is the bishop of all the bishops. <laughs> but that's not the way the church is supposed to be run because bishop elder and overseer are the same office they do they have the same function 
their call is to shepherd the church, to instruct her, to nurture, to encourage, to counsel. That is what the responsibility is. They're one function, one gifted person. They explain the gospel to a local congregation. They exposit the text. That's what the pastor and teacher does. Now, everyone may not have a teaching gift, but everyone can teach. You can teach your children the gospel. You can teach your grandchildren the gospel. You can teach your family members the gospel. You can teach your coworkers the gospel. Everyone may not be gifted as a pastor, you know, leading a, a, a flock. But everyone can teach. All of us can teach. You don't have to have gone to school to be a teacher to be able to teach. I know some of the greatest pastors who never set a foot in a college. But they're great teachers. So Christ gives all these gifts to the church. And why does he do it? This is where we get to the meat of our message as we uh, get ready to spend our last few moments in this text. Look at what it says here in verse 12. This is where I don't want us to lose our focus on. He says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes rather speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So you see, the whole purpose for the gifts is growth. That's the whole purpose for these gifts. All these gifts, all these giftedness, all these gifted people in the church have one purpose, and that is working together so that the church can be healthy, so that the church can grow. That is why, so that the church can grow. We don't want a church that's perpetually filled with immature Christians. The goal is for the church to grow, for each individual member to grow. That's the ultimate goal. For everyone to grow up together. So how does that look? Let's look at the three things that he points out here. First, to equip. What does equip mean to to make armed, to arm, to be ready. The saints don't call a pastor and pay for the pastor to do all the work. They call the pastor to follow his leadership and equip them to do the job. 
The members of the church grow by feeding on the word of God and ministering to each other. That's one of the ways to grow as a believer. That's how we equip each other. All those gifts that everyone has, we use to do what? Equip each other. To prepare each other for what? The spiritual warfare that we face out in this world. The troubles and trials of life that we're going to face. We equip each other to deal with those things, to live through those things, and to live with them. It can't just happen from the pulpit. It has to happen within the group. We equip each other for the work of ministry. And ministry basically means serving, the work of serving. Many people think ministry just means like pulpit. No. Ministry means to serve. To serve each other. So the purpose of Christ bestowing these gifts is to equip for the work of ministry and also for the building up of the body of Christ. So he says to equip the saints for the work of ministry and for the building up of the body of Christ. We build each other up, and guess what? As we're all built up, the body of Christ is what? Built up. If one person is doing it, it won't be built up. It'll be a weak body. It won't, it won't grow. Just imagine you got two working legs, but you're only utilizing one. The one that's not being used is going to atrophy. That means the, the muscles are going to get uh, weak and diminish. And then it's going to become useless. Look at it like your physical body. If you neglect and building up one part of your body, it's going to atrophy. It's going to grow weaker. It's not going to be as strong. And that means your whole body is going to be affected by it. So when we're looking at the body of Christ, we are building ourselves up, building up the body of Christ. And this is to be done in verse 13 until we all attain to the unity of the faith. So that means that's something we, we can tiver. I mean, I'm sorry, we continue to endeavor to do. It is work that never stops. We do it until everyone is growing up. And as everyone grows up, guess what? We continue to do it. We never stop trying to do what? Build each other up. I thank God that as a young Christian that uh, those people in my church didn't, 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 didn't give up on helping me to grow and mature in Christ because I, I was young and, you know, you're young, you think you know everything. You're young believer, you got all this zeal, got all this excitement to do all these things. And I had some, some brothers say, hey, calm down, okay, calm down, slow down. Okay, this is a marathon, not a sprint. That's what we have to tell our young Christians. It's a marathon. This is a this is a long walk. You excited about being saved? Praise the Lord. Amen. You're happy. But let's let's take this one step at a time. You can have zeal, 
Be zealous, be, be, be happy, be joyful, but not zeal, not according to knowledge. So we take those growing Christians and we continue to disciple them, continue to work with them, continue to pray with them and, and pray for them. And as they mature, guess what? We keep doing it. We just say, okay, they've, they've attained now. No, none of us will ever attain, people, until we go to glory. The growth of a Christian never stops. So as we are equipping, we are growing, we are maturing these believers, each other. We're building them up until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. We continue to strive to build each other up until all of us do what? Know God. Know, have knowledge of Christ. When you stop ceasing to know God, guess what's going to happen? You're going to wither. You're going to waver. You're going to falter. When you cease your desire to know God, you are going to wither away. You're going to drift because you're leaving your anchor. You're leaving the anchor of your soul. You're forsaking the anchor of your soul, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And his word, you're forsaking his truth. And you're going to be swept away. So what do we do? We help build each other up until all of us know God more and more and more and keep knowing God and cultivating that desire to know God. We don't do this a lot, but we should. Hey, what book of the Bible are you reading right now? How can I pray for you? Oh, I haven't picked my Bible up since last Sunday when we was in Ephesians 4, uh, five, uh, <laughs> 4, uh, 4 through 6. Amen. We can't say amen, say ouch. We have to encourage each other to grow. Encourage each other to read. Encourage each other to pray. Why? We are a body. If one part of the body is weak, the whole body is weak. It reminds me of the Bible study back dealing with Achan's sin. Achan's sin brought reproach upon the whole nation. His sin of taking those accursed things, those idols from Jericho when, when God, when Joshua told them, just only take the the, the, the silver and, and all the precious metals. Leave the accursed things. Yeah, one man said, oh, you know, I'll take a few of those 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 uh, false idols and hide them in my tent under the silver. Nobody will see it. And Israel went up against Ai and lost 36 men in battle. When they had just defeated Jericho by blowing trumpets and shouting, and those walls fell down, they had this great victory. And then next thing you know, they're losing against this small nation and lost 36 men. Why? Because one man brought sin into the camp. And we looked at that scripture in 1 Corinthians 5 where Paul says, do you, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? All it takes is one little thing. 
So in the church, if we're all not cultivating, if we're all not encouraging each other and, and you know pushing each one another to grow, it's going to weaken the church overall. It's going to weaken the church. It always has an effect because we are a body. You have to look at the church as a body. It says it right here. We are a body. Paul said it back in the uh, fourth verse. There is one what? Body. Building up the body of Christ, verse 12. Until we all attain unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. We all. He's talking about all of us. We are a body. We have to treat the church like a body, just like you treat your own body. Let something go wrong with your heart. What's going to be affected? Just your heart? <laughs> your whole body. Let you cut yourself deep enough. You're going to feel it throughout your whole body. Hit your shin on an open door in a parking lot. <laughs> I remember uh, what, a couple of years ago, friend, when I, I, I cut my finger real deep. And I, I fainted in the hallway, going down the hallway, because it was the shock from, from me cutting. I cut myself real deep down to the bone with one of my sharp knives. And, and I, I walked down the hallway. I had, had, to look, had it wrapped up, but I walked down the hallway to the bedroom, I, you know, and friend RJ and Chandler were standing right there, and I just fainted. I just fainted. Why? It was a shock to my body when I cut my finger. And it wasn't a big cut, but it was deep. And the doctor said that, you know, my body went into shock because of the of the cut. I guess the way my brain responded to it, because I looked at it, it was just like, just bleeding like profusely. And he said my brain sent that signal that, you know, something was wrong, and my body went into shock, and I just fainted. So that little cut affected my whole body. Think about the body of Christ as that. If everybody's growing, guess what? The whole body flourishes because of that. The whole body benefits. When we're all serving each other, when we're all using the gifts that God has given us to serve the body of Christ, guess what? Everyone benefits. And that's what he is saying here. Then he says, to maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of of Christ and he explains that maturity so that we may no longer be what children man so we are supposed to help each other grow into spiritual maturity a person cannot become spiritually mature on their own and this is why church membership and church attendance I sent that uh, message I think yesterday about about the importance of, of being in church and being involved in a church it helps you to grow you cannot grow in isolation Satan would love to say yeah I don't have to go to church to be a Christian well all Christians go to church if you are believing in the Lord Jesus Christ how are you going to forsake him at the same time remember the body is Christ 
Christ is the head of the church, as we see in this passage here. How are you going to say, oh, I'm a Christian, but you don't want to be part of Christ's bride, which is his church? Those two things don't make sense. As they say, make it make sense. It doesn't make sense. So you cannot mature being on your own. You can't mature being a lone ranger. You cannot mature as a believer by being a lone ranger. It, it just doesn't make sense. But you got many people who try uh, to think that they can do that. This is that message I sent out here. It says the local church is written by uh, Josh Bice. He says the local church is not an option to consider. It's God's will for the Christian. God never intends for Christians to journey onto the gates of glory as lone rangers. He has called us into the community of the local church. And within that community, we help each other to do what? Mature. Think about a child who grows up without being in a, 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 a biblically proper home. They don't mature the same because they're not in that, that unit that God has ordained and their immaturity shows. Maturity is very important in the body of Christ and we are called to do that. And we do it so that, verse 14, we may no longer be what? Children. Immature. And what is an aspect of a child? Being tossed what? To and fro. By every wind of doctrine. By human cunning and by the craftiness in deceitful schemes. People who don't know a lot, people who know a lot rather, but don't do a lot, are often deceived. People who are not maturing in the faith are easily deceived into following false doctrine. They're easily deceived. Why? Because they don't have a knowledge of the Son of God. They don't have a knowledge of the true Christ. A lot of these people who go to these false churches, like the church down the street with the lion in front of it, a lot of those people, they don't have a knowledge of the Son of God. They're being presented with the false Christ. They're being led by two so-called apostles. But they are being deceived. Why? Because unfortunately they have not belonged to a church that has taught them who the true Christ is. So they go to a church that's not teaching the tr true Christ and not even learn about Christ. So guess what? They're being tossed back and forth. And they go from one false church to the other. All of them do that. It's like a circle. They go from the frying pan to the skillet, as they say. They're being tossed back and forth. This false church to that false church. This false teaching to that false teaching. This apostle to that apostle. 
They're being tossed. Why? Because they're not mature. Why? Because they have not belonged to a body of believers where everyone is using their gifts to help each other grow. Let that not be said of the living church. I couldn't take one second listening to these people. I'm like, turn it off. I don't want to. Nah, no. I can't. Because I know the true Christ. And I know the true gospel and what I should be hearing from a so-called preacher. If we're growing up and we're maturing together, then guess what? We will know too. We'll be able to discern. Oh, that's, that's not the gospel. When you get down to the gospel, you get down to the main thing. Instead of talking about what you're seeing in the prophetic and what the Lord showed you. And what kind of special revelation you have, which is not revelation at all. You're lying on God. You're blaspheming his name. You're violating the first and second commandment. But the maturing is so that we may not be tossed back and forth, to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, everything that comes along that people jump on. You got people to jump on every trend that comes through. And all those trends are that. They're trends. They're, 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 they're false. But you got people that are jumping on those bandwagons. I remember there was a trend back in, in the late 90s and early 2000s of, uh, you know, you would watch the, the big preachers on TBN, which is a, excuse me, an abominable station to watch all together. But, you know, you had these preachers uh, preaching like T.D. Jakes and Creflo Dollar on TBN, and, and you saw people running up to the altar with money and throwing it at the altar and, and coming back to their seat. Like, what foolishness is that? But you had churches around here mimicking it. Talks about every everything that comes along. First, they see these fake preachers on TV being apostles. And it always trickles down to the local level. Yeah, one person calling themselves an apostle, now you got 20 or 30 preachers around here calling themselves apostles. Got five people sitting in their church. And they call themselves an apostle. The numbers don't matter, but it's the point that I'm making with that. They just want power. They just want glory. But they're being tossed. And the people that are following them are being tossed to and fro. Why? Because they're not growing up into maturity. They're not using their gifts to serve each other. And this is what Paul was telling the Ephesians. No. We are supposed to equip. We're supposed to build up. We're supposed to edify each other so that no one will be deceived by human cunning, by the craftiness of men, the deceitful schemes. But he says here at the end, rather, verse 15, speaking the truth in love. We ought to speak the truth in love. We ought to do what? Grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. 
We're supposed to speak the truth in love to each other. And speaking the truth in love does not mean not speaking the truth. Love means that you are pursuing the good or the betterment of the object of that love. Many people in our culture think speaking the truth in love means that you don't say anything to offend anyone. But that's not what that means. Speaking the truth in love means you're speaking the truth in a way that is beneficial to that person. We have to be able to define what love is. Love means pursuing the good of the other, just as God so loved us. He pursued our good by doing what? Sending his son to die for our sins because our greatest need is to be saved from our sins. So what did God do in his show of love? Sent his son Christ to do what we could not do, and that was die on the cross for our sins. That's love. Love is costly. So if you're speaking the truth in love, you're speaking the truth in a way that benefits the other person. It doesn't mean that you don't speak the truth at all or, or that you go soft on the truth. If you love someone, you must not shield them from the truth, even if that truth may hurt them. Proverbs 27 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. If you love a friend, you will tell them the truth. Although it may hurt them, you tell them the truth. That doesn't mean that you, you, you <laughs> the problem is because a person receives the truth the wrong way, we think we didn't do it in love. No, they're responding to the truth that they didn't like to hear, but you still tell them. So they may get upset. They may get offended. Their feelings may be hurt. It's not because you didn't do it in love. It's because you told them the truth. And people who don't like the truth will always get offended by it. You have to understand that, believer. The world hates the truth, the truth of God. They hate it. You tell a person men can't get pregnant. You homo-transphobic. You transphobe. That's what they're going to say. But it's still true. I can't get pregnant. Hey, man, I'm a man. I have XY. Mayor, you have XX. You ain't woman. But you say that, and what do people say? Oh, you're a transphobe. Christian, say it anyway, because it's true. If you say as a Christian, that thing growing inside of that woman is a baby, not a fetus, it is a person made in the image of God from the moment of conception. You hate women's rights. You're trying to take away a woman's reproductive rights. No, I'm not. I'm speaking up for the rights of that 
unborn person that's in your womb. That's speaking the truth in love because you care about that person that's inside of that woman's stomach, inside of her uterus that is growing. So as believers, we speak the truth and love to each other. That's how we grow each other. That's how we mature each other by speaking the truth to one another in love. And Christians know that if a Christian is speaking truth to you, that they love you. If you see a believer that's committing adultery, you should say to them, hey, you're sinning against your wife. You're sinning against your husband. You need to go make that right. You need to repent. And say, oh, I don't want to hurt their feelings. No, you speak that truth to them in love. That's the only way they're going to grow from that and be reconciled to their spouse. So Paul says, his grid land is plain. From whom this is Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's the mutual cooperation that we all have as believers. As members of one body and as members of a local body, we belong to each other. We affect each other. And we need each other. Each believer, no matter how insignificant we may appear, we have a ministry to other believers. I'm going to say that again. Each believer, no matter how insignificant you may think you are, you have a ministry to other believers. The body grows as individual members grow. And we grow and feed on the word and minister to each other. The emphasis is on love. We grow up together in love, the edifying of itself in love. Love is the circulatory system of the body of Christ, basically. Do you know that studies have shown that an isolated, unloved baby doesn't grow properly and is more susceptible to disease, a baby that's neglected and isolated, that they're more susceptible to disease and developmental uh, delay, while babies who are handled and, 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 and nurtured, they grow uh, normally and are hugely stronger. Look at the body of Christ that way. If we don't nurture and care for new believers, young believers, guess what? They're not going to develop. An isolated Christian cannot minister to others, nor can others minister to them. That is why church attendance is important. That's why participating in the local church is important. It is impossible for the gifts to be ministered to a person who is in isolation. Don't let the devil have you think that you don't need the church, that you don't need your local church. Don't believe the lie. He wants to isolate you. He wants you to say, oh, they're not going to miss me today. He, see, he wants you to say, oh, I'm not, I'm not needed. My, my presence is not, is not needed 
I'm going to tell you now, personally, I love when you come to church. I love to see your faces every day. And I'm sure everybody in here loves to see everybody who is in here. What I always ask you, Mary, where are the girls? Why? And I tell them every time they come to church, I love to see you when you're at church. And I pray for you all the time because I do. I love seeing all of you all. I love seeing the boys when they're here. I love seeing all of y'all when you are here because I know the importance of the, the local body of believers and how important that is to our body and how important it is to you to be in fellowship and presence with other believers. It is so precious, the body of Christ. Remember, there's no community like the body of Christ. And we as believers should cherish that. Spiritual unity is something that we already have in Christ. It is already our possession. We must protect it, and we must maintain it. Remember, truth unites, but lies divide. Love unites, but selfishness divides. So we must, as Paul says, speak the truth in love, equip and edify one another that we all may grow up to be more like Christ. Amen? Let us pray as we close. Lord, we thank you for your word. I went a little longer than I wanted today, but I thank you that you have gifted all of us as believers in this local assembly here. You've gifted all of us to serve each other in the church. Lord, help us to see our role in helping each other grow, whether it's through prayer, whether it's through encouragement, whether it's through discipleship, whether it's through ministering the gospel to each other. Whatever it may be, Lord, you have equipped all of us, even down to the babies. You've equipped all of us, Lord, to, to serve in your church, to serve the needs of the body so that we may all mature, so that we all may grow up in Christ so that we won't be tossed back and forth by all these winds of false doctrine that we may be one mature man in Christ Lord help us to, to continue to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace to forbear one another in love to speak the truth in love so that the body of Christ may be edified in love. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.